0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard the ship to sail to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Each one cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain came to him and said, "'How can you sleep? Get up. Call upon your God. Maybe he'll notice us, so that we will not perish.'" Then the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast the lot, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they said to him, Can you tell us who's responsible for bringing this trouble upon us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He replied, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God on heaven and earth, maker of the land and the sea. Well, this terrified them. So they said to him, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them. So, while the sea grew rougher and rougher, and the men said to him, tell us what we must do to you to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah said. And then the sea will grow calm, for I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not do it, because the sea grew even wilder than before. Then the men cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish which swallowed Jonah. Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You've hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will remember you. What I have vowed, I will fulfill. Salvation comes from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited. Right? It vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I will give you. Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Well, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in all of Nineveh. By the decree of of the king and his nobles, do not let man or, or beast, herd or, or flock, t- taste anything. Do not let them eat or, or drink, but, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them turn from their evil ways and their, and their, their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and in compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Well, when God saw what they had done, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring on them the trouble he had threatened. But Jonah was... Displeased, He became angry with the Lord. He said to the Lord, O oh Lord, this is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now O oh Lord, take my life. For it would be better for me to die than to live. The Lord said to him, do you have any right to be angry? Well, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he built a shelter, sat down in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Well, then the Lord God provided a vine, caused it to grow up over Jonah, to give shelter from the sun to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day, the Lord provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun came up, the Lord provided a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and wanted to die. He said to the Lord, It would be better for me to die than to live. The Lord said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said to Jonah, you are concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or cause it to grow. It sprang up overnight and it withered overnight. Nineveh has over 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Should I... Not be concerned over such a great city. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Wanted to welcome you all here to Senate Street Church at Central Campus. And for those of you joining online, and then the, those of you that are uh, meeting together all over our city at one of our campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, South Calgary, and in Northwest Calgary. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, hasn't this been an incredible morning where we've just been sharing testimonies of God's goodness? And didn't Tim do an amazing job today? Wasn't that great? This week, we are celebrating our yearly camp that we have here at Center Street. And this last week, we had over 250 campers that came to join us and have fun worshiping together, laughing together, learning about God together, but then also forming friendships that would last a lifetime. And most importantly, 28 children said yes to Jesus for the very first time this week. Isn't that great? And this is what happens when leaders step forward and say, God, I want you to use me. Despite my insecurities, despite my feelings of inadequacy, I want, I want you to use me to invest in the life of a child and point them to your love and your forgiveness and the hope that you've, you have to offer. And then they step back and watch, and watch God work. And I wanted to thank you all for your prayers, because I know many of you were praying for our, our camp this week. I wanted to thank our staff and the nearly 70 leaders that uh, spent an entire work, uh, week working hard to make sure our camp was a huge success. And many of those leaders are here today, so please join me in thanking them for the investment that they made the, the, this week. You know, there, there are many more kids who wanted to be part of camp. Kids that don't know Jesus, but they couldn't get in. And so, I'm just asking for you to prayerfully consider, a year in advance, that's lots of time, a year in advance to prayerfully consider making camp part of your next summer plans uh, so we can see even more kids come to camp uh, to learn about Jesus. And as we celebrate the 28 lives changed this last week, I believe that we have only seen the tip of the iceberg of all that God wants to do in children's ministries through our camp, but also through Center Street Church. Just ask that you all stand now as we just uh, pray for our time together here. God, I want to thank you that you're sovereign. I want to thank you that you are a powerful God, that you made each and every one of us in this room for a purpose. Thank you, God, for the children that said yes to you this week. God, we ask today that you would protect them and guide them and grow them. Give, them, give their parents wisdom in how to disciple them well in their faith. And God, we just pray for this time that we have together, that you, God, remind us of your truth, your heart for children and youth, and your desire for them to be invested in by those that know and love you. And I just pray that you would help us open our hearts, God, to what you want to say to us this morning. God, may you be glorified. May you be glorified in all that is said and done here. Pray this now in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So when I was in grade 8, our gym teacher introduced us to sailing and we spent a couple of weeks in the classroom learning everything we could about sailing. We watched movies about it, we read books about it, we learned all the different parts of the sailboats, and the day finally came when we went to the Glenmore Reservoir and got some additional instructions and some safety procedures, and finally the time came when we were allowed to get into our boats and then unhook our boats from the dock and begin sailing. And I remember That feeling right when we started, we were off. It was great. The sun was shining. The water was crystal clear. Everyone was smiling and laughing and having a great time. I can't believe we're sailing. But then, (laughs) the clouds appeared. And within 10 minutes, we found ourselves in the middle of what felt like a hurricane. The raging storm That began, left all of us in the state of panic. And we had forgotten everything that we had ever read or learned about sailing. And at one point, I remember looking at, at my friends in the boat, but then looking out on the water, and what I saw was absolute mayhem and chaos. Boats were overturned. My friends were holding on to the side of them. My others were trying to swim to the shore. It was chaos. And I looked at my friends' faces in our boat, and they were filled with fear and worry and despair. We all knew it was going to be a miracle if we got back to the shore with all of us in the boat. Now, I share this story with you today because there is an emerging generation of children and youth who are in sailboats right now being battered by these kinds of stormy waters. Storms that threaten to not only drown them spiritually, but emotionally and physically and sexually and relationally. High winds and waves have rattled the moral fabric of our families and our homes, leaving many confused and struggling with their identity and their purpose and meaning in life. The question is, what is God calling us as His people, His followers in this room, to do about it? And how does he want us to live and respond to the growing storms that this generation is facing? As you know, we're in a series right now in the book of Jonah. And Jonah, as we've learned, had a very specific purpose that God wanted him to fulfill. To go to Nineveh and reach a group of people that God deeply, deeply loved. But, as we know, Jonah disobeyed and he went his own way. Many of us in this room... We've had Jonah-like experiences where we feel like God wanted us to do something, but we did something else. We decided it was too risky, unknown, or scary, and we didn't follow through in what God was calling us to do. For instance, God has called parents to be the primary faith influence in their children's lives. Parents, are you actively and strategically Leading your children in the way and the truth in the life of Jesus. God has also called all of us, every single believer in Christ, to use our gifts and our abilities and our talents to use them to build his kingdom here on earth. Are you using them? God has also prompted some of you to invest in the lives of this next generation. Have you stepped out in faith in obedience to his call? All of us have had Jonah-like experiences. And so today I want to challenge parents and spiritual parents and those of you who have sensed God calling you to invest in this next generation to not go the way of Jonah. Now, Jesus, he placed a very high value on the lives of children in this next generation. In Matthew 18, Jesus said that children model the kind of people that God wants us to be as his followers. That we can learn from children, their humility, their honesty, and their childlike faith. We see this high value being highlighted in Mark 10. And this is what we read. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But when the disciples saw them, they rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. In this text we find Jesus in a very intense period of ministry where he was teaching people, he was healing people, large crowds of people were following him everywhere that he went. And in this text, the disciples are watching all of this. And they know that Jesus is in this intense period of his life. They know that he's under a lot of pressure. And now oh, a group of parents show up with their little kids to bless them? The disciples then take it upon themselves before they get any closer. And they rebuke him. Now rebuke is a very strong word. It means to express express sharp disapproval or criticism because of one's behavior or actions. The disciples disapproved of these children coming to Jesus because in their mind, they were just children. And from the disciples' perspective, ministry to adults was far more important Jesus was preaching amazing sermons at that time. He was casting out demons, healing people, miraculously feeding thousands of people. And the disciples, they saw all these kids, these babies, these toddlers, you know, the two boys that are wrestling in the corner over here as a speed bump in the ministry of Jesus' life here. So the disciples took it on themselves to stop them from coming to Jesus. And I just want to, pause briefly here because i don't think that this mindset is limited to the disciples i have observed a subtle unspoken shift that is occurring today that implies that ministry to adults is more important than children or youth ministry i thought about why is that And I believe there are a variety of reasons, but for the big one that stood out for me was because we tend to get positive feedback from adults quite quickly. Or we see an immediate result if we give a presentation. We teach a course and, you know, adults will come up to you after and say, wow, thank you, thank you so much, this is so good, I can't wait to apply this to my life. But we often don't get this positive reinforcement from kids, do we? (laughs) We often don't see or get any feedback from our children or youth, either ever or maybe it's years down the road. I don't ever remember my kids coming up to me and saying, Oh, Dad, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. My life has been changed. Oh, And we often... This is one of the reasons why ministering to adults is much more appealing to many people. We often see ministering to children or youth as simply taking care of them, while important things are happening in the worship service. But church, important things are happening in children's and youth ministries as the truths of God are impressed on their minds and their hearts. In many homes every week, Important things are happening every day through parents that are seeking to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and model for their children the Jesus-shaped life. The life that they are living, the values that they are elevating, the things that they are teaching, God is using all of these things together to make an impact and a huge difference in the life of this next generation. They have a long-term view in mind. They know that this next generation is going to one day be the leaders of our city and our nation and our world. And that knowing Jesus makes all the difference in how they live and serve in those future careers. And we have a part to play as parents and as a community of Christ followers that are in this room today in helping shape who they become in Christ. Back to our text. So the disciples have just rebuked these parents and children from coming to Jesus. And I love what Jesus does next. After seeing what they did, Jesus says, when he saw what had happened, says he was indignant. And that word we sometimes just gloss over, but if you actually look at the Greek meaning of that word, it means to show great sorrow, affliction, and hurt. Jesus was grieved. And he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. I always imagine, it's not written down, but I always imagine what it would look like for everyone that was there when that happened. Jesus says these words, and I imagine the big, huge crowd goes silent. Everyone looks at one another. There's tension in the air. And there's that one little child at the front by Jesus looking up. Jesus puts out his hand, motions them to come to him. Child starts to walk. The crowd starts to move back. Jesus kneels down, picks them up, and then he blesses them. What a beautiful picture of how Jesus views this next generation. Despite how, Jesus, how busy Jesus was, he stopped and gave special priority to children Jesus cared then and he still cares now. Nothing has changed in his eyes. He continues to place a high value on children and youth and ministry to them, but also ministry with them. Friends, our children, this next generation of youth and children, they are an active, vibrant part of our church. They are dedicated Christ followers trying to grow in the purposes that God has for their lives. To hear God's voice, but then also to have the courage to obey what He is calling them to do. They are not the future of our church. They are the church today and are an essential part of who we are here at Center Street. So with that in mind, I just want to use our remaining time together just to briefly give us some practical applications on ways that we can actively disciple our emerging generation. And I know many of you are like, oh, that's not my stage of life. I'm not in that season right now. Well, regardless of whatever season you find yourself in, as a parent, as, as a young adult, a married with kids, without kids, a single parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or a friend, all of us will at some time in our lives be in a position of spiritual influence over the life, over the life of a child or a youth. This message is not a parenting message. It is a discipleship message, and it's for all of us. So the first way to actively disciple our emerging generation is to acknowledge that they are a gift from God. In Psalm 127, 3-5, this is what we read. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. The Christian worldview of children is very different than that of our culture, isn't it? The Bible says that children, they are a blessing and a gift from God. On the other hand, many in our culture view children as a burden, a drain on your life physically and emotionally and financially. That children cause you to gain weight as a mother, but also, in my case, gain sympathy weight as a father. And <laughs> Lose your hair, right? And give up your dreams and stop living your life. And I think back, you know, when we first had our firstborn, our first child, we're at the hospital, everything's great, and then we brought her home and we're starting to figure out how are we going to, how are we going to parent? How are we going to just raise her up well? And I remember at one point after another sleepless night, I thought (laughs) the life I I I had was over, you know. It's all done. All the fun. It's all gone. The freedom, it's gone. And I went through this period of mourning as I listed to God all the things I wasn't able to do anymore. And I felt at times that we were under house arrest because everything had changed. You know, my relationship with my wife, Erin had changed. Suddenly, the woman who couldn't keep her hands off me, which got us into this mess, <laughs> and... You think I'm joking. (laughs) Oh, no. And she wasn't even interested in me anymore. All she wanted to do, she was occupied with this child. And we began to lose more sleep. We got short with one another. And I treated her in a way that was not in line with the example that was set before me by Jesus. And as the pressure grew in my role at the time, I was a police officer, and as my pressure grew in that role, and we added, you know, some more kids and more sleepless nights, we faced unbelievable stress in our relationship. And when I reflect back on how I was thinking back then and what I was feeling, I realized I didn't have and I didn't believe that my children were a heritage, a gift, and a blessing from God. Because my selfishness had taken over. Because it was all about me. And it had nothing to do about the God-given calling on my life as a father. And I'm still on a journey in this area. I'm still learning that I need to laugh more with my kids. (laughs) I need to play with them. I need to enjoy them. And I need to actually get to know them better. The second way to actively disciple our emerging generation is to guide and instruct them with urgency. This next generation, like I said earlier, is being barraged on all sides by negative influences. Influences like unhealthy friends, the media, advertising, the music industry, video games, a a hedonistic society that is determined on reaching their minds and their hearts first. From the time our children were born, Arian and I have been intentional to tell them that they are loved by us, but more importantly, they are loved by their father, God, who wants nothing more than to have a relationship with them. And we're also determined that our kids would define their identity and their self-worth, not from what the world says, but how God sees them. For example, in our culture, beauty is often defined as an external thing, but God sees beauty from the heart. So when our oldest daughter, she was four years old, uh, she contracted a virus which caused a massive reaction all over her body. She had these pea-sized red welts everywhere, including her face. And it wasn't contagious, and there wasn't anything that we could do. The doctor just said, you have to wait till it runs its course out. And so, after our doctor's appointment, we had to go to the mall to get something, and, you know, we started to walk through the mall. And within minutes I watched my outgoing little ball of sunshine without a care in the world. I watched her slowly grow quiet and then walk right beside us. And then the tears began to well up and her eyes began to fill with tears. We asked her, what's going on? What's wrong? This is what she said, four years old. Daddy, Everyone's looking at me. They think I'm ugly. I'm not beautiful anymore. And in that moment, I knew the war was on for my daughter's mind and her heart. It only took minutes for her to think that. And we, of course, assured her that of her, of who God says she is, and where beauty comes from. But this very battle and many other battles, they are raging in the hearts of this next generation today. God has given us an opportunity, a special window of time to impact this generation and reach their hearts first for Christ. There is an urgency in the pursuit of their hearts for a variety of reasons. And if you're like me, it's like, (laughs) I got lots of time. We actually don't. From the time a child is born, we have just over 6,500 days to reach their heart before they turn 18 years old. Imagine with me that there is a, a countdown clock over top of their heads from the moment that they're born. And it is counting down minutes, days, and years. And extensive research has supported this. A child is most receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ between the ages of four years old and 14 years old. Over 70% of decisions for Christ happen between those ages. Those that accept Christ between those ages are more likely to have a personal, personal relationship with Christ their entire life. The countdown clock is ticking. By the time a child is nine years old, their basic moral foundation has been formed. By the time they're 13 years old, they have formed their basic beliefs around the nature of God, the reliability of the Scriptures, the existence of the afterlife, and the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Studies show that only 3% of children see the world through a biblical perspective, which should greatly, greatly concern us as Christ followers, but also as a church. Church, we have an opportunity as followers of Christ to change the stats by investing in and discipling this generation now. Parents, God has chosen you to be the primary conduit in which faith is passed down to this generation. In Deuteronomy 6, we read the famous, famous words that we've talked about many times in this room. This is what we read. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Parents, you are God's plan for passing on your faith to your children. And as I've said before, when Moses spoke these powerful words, he didn't call a parent meeting. He actually said it to the entire nation of Israel. All of the young adults. All of the aunts, the uncles, the friends, the grandparents, and the parents. And today I believe he's reminding us again, that, that us all, that reaching this next generation's heart is the work to be done by everyone. To intentionally instruct and give them guidance, to give a child what they need so that they can grow in their understanding of who God is, their relationship with him, how, God's, how their identity is found in God, and that they can have, a, have confidence in his plan for their life. Sadly, research reveals that many church-going children do not have a biblical literacy at all. For example, a, a recent survey of American children who regularly attend church, regularly attend church, found that 33% of children didn't choose the Nativity as part of the Bible. 59% didn't know Jonah is in the Bible. 27% thought Superman is or might be a biblical story. <laughs> 33% thought Harry Potter is or might be a biblical story. And 54% thought that the Hunger Games is or might be a biblical story. There is urgency to reach their hearts and their minds. This next generation needs us to guide and teach them the truths of God long before they get to high school or long before they get to university and college. They need to know what they believe. But also, they need to know why they believe it, why it matters, and the hope that it brings the world. Parents and spiritual parents, I urge you to make the most of everyday moments in your lives. In the morning when you're getting ready, when you're driving in your cars, when you're eating together as a family, or when you're going to bed. To, when you're going to bed. Parents, use the take-home papers that we give you. Don't let them sit on the bottom of your minivans. Use them. Ask your kids, what did you learn? The questions are there so you can engage them and find out where they're at with their walk with God. Come to the parent days that are designed to practically equip you to disciple your child. Don't be a passive observer in this area or think that everything is okay. You are in a battle, a battle for your child's heart. Have a battle plan and carry it out. God has equipped you and he will empower you with everything that you need to be an outstanding parent in this area. The third way to actively disciple our emerging generation is to protect their hearts. Because our children and our youth, are, they're a gift from God, we have a duty to steward them and protect that gift. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. As Christ followers and as parents, we need to be on guard for this next generation, to protect them from anyone or anything that is trying to take a foothold in their lives. We also need to teach and guide them how they can guard their own hearts when you're not there to help them. This means that we have to get involved in their lives a little bit more. Not in an overbearing way or a controlling way, but with a loving concern for their heart. This means that we need to know what they're doing, where they're going, what they're listening to, what they're watching, what games and what apps that they're playing. We need to know their friends, their siblings, their parents. And we need to ask the bigger questions. When I was a police officer, I had many interactions with persons that were struggling with addictions. When I would ask how those addictions started, like, do you remember when this started? Sometimes they could point to a specific time when they were in grade four, five, six, or seven, and they saw something or they started experimenting with something, and suddenly they couldn't undo what had happened, and now they were living with the effects of it. I would talk with youth who could also, they could pinpoint the exact moment they saw an image at a friend's house or on the playground at school with an iPhone or an iPad or a phone, and it started this lifelong struggle with lustful thoughts. I would sometimes arrest or apprehend Christian students from churches in our city, and some of them from our church after finding them in a situation where they were engaging in toxic behaviors and and engaging in substances that they had no business engaging in. And I would bring them home to their parents. People I knew and I've grown up with. And to their surprise, I would stand at their door and the shock on their face told me everything I needed to know because they thought their child was just going over to a friend's house. Parents, we need to have the courage to lovingly ask the tough questions with our kids. What are you doing? Where are you going? Who is going to be there? And don't just say, because I said so. (laughs) When they say, why do you need to know that? Tell them why. Because above all else, guard your hearts. Finally, The fourth way to actively disciple our emerging generation is to pray consistently and persistently for them. So often we try to fix our own problems, our issues, and the issues that our kids are facing with our own strength. When we're struggling with problems and issues in our own lives or the lives of those that we love, we often expend needless energy worrying and taking matters into our own hands and we're trying to do it in our own strength. But this is not God's way. In 1 Samuel 12, 23, we read this. As for me, far be it from me that that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. As followers of Christ, we are not alone in our parenting or our ministry. The all-powerful God of the universe is with us and wants to do what we can't do. You know, I love attending weddings, and every time that I've attended a wedding, there's some version of this that I've heard. The parents will stand up in the rehearsal dinner, and they'll say to their child, man, I want you to know we have been praying for you your entire life, that God would give you a heart that seeks his, and you'd be a a person of integrity, and you'd hold on to truth. And then they would look at their soon-to-be spouse and say, I just want you to know I have been, we have been praying for you for over 25 years. You. We didn't know your name, but we knew that you'd be here. We've been praying that you would be a person of integrity, that, that God would protect you and guide you to our, our child. Wow. What a gift. Prayer changes everything. You know the one thing that I do really well, like consistently, <laughs> is worry. I do it perfectly. <laughs> and I think it's just part of our human brokenness. But you know, I'm I'm learning that it takes the same amount of energy to stress out, to panic and to worry as it does to pray. One is a faithless waste of time and the other is powerful and effective. Parents, grandparents, teachers, youth leaders, coaches. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing that God can do what we can't do. And we must always do what he calls us to do, but along the way, trust him in prayer to do what we can't. Pray consistently and persistently for the hearts of the children and youth in your life. I'll close with this. The day that we went sailing was a terrifying experience. As the waves crashed against our sailboat, I had this gut-wrenching feeling that this was not what sailing was supposed to be like, and it was going to end with us in the water. And I could hear the instructors yelling from the shore, "Whoa!" Yeah. But we couldn't hear them. The storm was too loud. And eventually, one of the instructors got into this big rescue pontoon boat, came out, and started picking up all of my friends that were in the water. But that boat never came for us. Eventually, we figured it out, and we were able to get back to the dock. And it wasn't a, a nice, quiet, slow maneuver up to the dock like we'd seen in the videos. It was a loud, big, violent crash into the dock but we were finally safe church our children and our youth are in that storm right now where they are forming their moral convictions and the foundation of their faith in God their belief in eternity and their purpose and reason for being here and many of us are trying to give advice and instruction from a distance and which is okay but what they really need really need is for us as parents and as Christ followers in this room to get into the boat with them, as it were. And in the midst of the storms of life, begin to lovingly guide them, instruct them, counsel them, encourage them, and warn them of the upcoming dangers ahead. Like Jonah, many of us have not truly truly, fully engaged in what God has asked us to do in investing in this next generation. I remind you that discipling this next generation is not just for parents. It's the entire body of believers saying yes to the high calling of loving and caring for this next generation. Don't see them as a problem, a burden, or an inconvenience. God loves them and has equipped and empowered all of us to welcome them, to engage them, and point them back to Christ. Don't run away from the very thing that God has placed in all of us to do. Don't let children and youth, this generation, be your Nineveh. This past week, we had 28 children that believed in the loving grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Their lives are changed forever because we had leaders who were willing to come and get into the boat of their lives and invest in them and love them and care for them and let them know that they matter deeply to God. There are a few ways that you can invest in this next generation. You can do it in and through our church. There's lots of opportunities. One way is to prayerfully and intentionally seek to live and model the Jesus-shaped life for those around you. You can come and you can serve and be part of children's ministries as a group leader, a storyteller, a worship leader. You can be a youth community group leader in our youth ministry. You can be engaged in our summer camp next year. Parents, I just want to acknowledge that some of you, if you're like me, feel deep regret and feelings of guilt and shame after hearing a message like this. I get it. Because you feel like you've blown it. Welcome to my world. It's how I feel all the time. But I'm learning. Yes, I've fallen short in many, many of the things I've talked about tonight. But I I can't undo what's happened, and neither can you. And I am determined to do what Paul says, to forget what is behind and to strain towards what is ahead. And I encourage you, if you're in that place, to do the same. Today is the first day of the rest of your life to chart a new course for your life and your parenting. Don't live in the past. Strain towards what is ahead. And one day you'll be so glad that you did. Friends, imagine the impact that we could have in the minds and hearts of this next generation and of our city if, in obedience to God's call, we invested the time to climb into the boats of this next generation's lives and began teaching them and guiding them and helping them through the storms and introducing them to Jesus as we go along. I invite us all to pray together that this becomes a reality, that this sinks in deep, that we don't walk out of this place and say, oh, that was nice, that God would be stirring in you a new thing a new heart and longing to reach this next generation for Christ this next generation who needs the Jesus that we know and love I just ask that you all stand as we just close our time together in prayer God we 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 thank you for your son Jesus who reveals how much our children and youth mean to you. Thank you for your word and the truths that you've imparted to us through it. Today I just want to pray for everyone who has had a Jonah-like experience. Those that know what you've been asking them to do but haven't followed through yet. God, I pray for great courage, for great strength and determination for them today that you would remind them of the joy that comes from listening and following and obeying you. Father God, we lift up this upcoming generation to you. God, thank you for them. Thank you for how you've made them. And God, thank you that you haven't given up on them. God, I pray that you would raise up raise up a mighty army of godly men and women who love you and want to see the name of Jesus reign in the hearts and minds of this next generation. <laughs> God, give us great courage to step into this, this as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncle, uncles, young adults and as friends. God, today our hands are open to you. Use us today in any way to further your kingdom in this next generation in our city and world, a world that desperately needs to know you. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace in the name of god the father the son and the holy spirit amen
0: thanks for listening we hope this message has impacted you we'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected for any questions or prayer please visit our website at cschurch.ca you can also like us on facebook or follow us on twitter